and in our text today, Jesus is going to employ an analogy that's become very popular within Christianity. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me, he will tell us. It's talked about quite a bit in Christianity. Now, many of you are gardeners in this room. I've actually heard it quite a bit this morning, talking about gardening, how everyone's getting ready for spring in the gardening season. And uh, this is the time of year where we're all kind of cleaning up our garden beds and preparing for new growth. The vine dresser's job, the gardener's job, you who are gardeners in the room, is to clear out all the dead vegetation and prune those chosen plants that you have chosen to keep for healthier growth. And now Jesus says this is analogous to the way the Father tends us in the garden of our souls. But within popular Christian thought, we have this tendency to believe that God has saved fruitful Christians and unfruitful Christians. And this has sometimes been described as carnal Christianity and spiritual Christianity. So you have your carnal Christians and then you have your spiritual Christians. And in this view... Our obedience and abiding in trust is essentially something optional. You can be a carnal Christian and not really be obedient. You can have no fruits. Or you can be a spiritual Christian and you can have fruits. And you can obey the things that Jesus has told us. But the very clear message in our text this morning is one of warning. Real, genuine warning. And this is not a warning for the unfruitful to just realize, well, God's going to do some minor pruning. He's going to cut back. No, this is a warning for a complete removal. A cutting off. In other words, Jesus' analogy doesn't leave room for carnal Christians very long. They eventually will be cut off. The branches which produce no fruit finally, in the end, will be removed and cast into the fire, is what Jesus will tell us. So the question that we'll be answering today, and is probably pressing on your hearts now, is, well, how does one bear fruit and remain on the vine? What does that look like? Well, those are some of the questions that we're going to be looking at this morning in our text And again, the text is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. These are the words of God. Let's give attention to them this morning, church. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified so that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. 
No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask and the ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The word of God for his people. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. We come to your word this morning, sitting as uh, subjects at your feet, praying that you would uh, speak clearly to us. Lord, we stand um, under your authority, and we open our hearts now to you, asking that you would teach us and show us what you are commanding us. Help us to take it seriously, and Lord, help us to understand better this morning what it means to abide in you. Help me as I speak this morning to speak your words, Lord. Help me to be faithful in the way do I speak in the way do I, that I speak to this congregation. Lord, let us speak in love. Uh, Lord, let us abide in you in love that we might see things more clearly in this passage this morning. We ask it all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin by taking seriously this warning in this passage. It is a genuine warning. So from this text, we can see that there is a category of people who remain connected to Christ for some time, but eventually are cut off because of unfruitfulness. Now, this category of people at one time, they are covenantally connected to Jesus. They're covenantally connected, but after proving to be unfruitful, they are later shown to be false and cut off. Now, this is kind of like the nominal churchgoer who has joined the covenant community of Christ. He, he does have a connection to Christ, but it is only kind of through church membership, but does nothing more than attend, or maybe not even that. Maybe he just holds his name on the roster of membership. Okay, So no fruit is bearing. Their name is on the membership role, but that is all. If you ask how their relationship with Christ is going, they might not have much of an answer. Probably not. Now, I, I, just yesterday, I was talking to someone about someone who was in this very boat. They went to church, uh, and, and they were asked, well, what is your relationship with Jesus like? And they kind of gave the shrug, like, well, he's whatever kind of thing. And they were asked, well, have you repented of your sins? Do you, have you had a moment where you actually have confessed that you believe in Jesus? And they, they said no. And the person asked, well, are you interested in that? And he said, not really. So this is, this is a reality. This is people in our own community, people around us live like this with this covenantal connection to Christ where they say, yeah, I'm, I'm a part. I'm a Christian, I, but I'm only a nominal Christian. I, I go to church and that's about it. But the, the unfruitful church members at the end of history will prove to be like your scrap pile of weeds and dead growth that you are all piling up getting ready for spring. You kind of toss it to the side. They'll be cut off. They're going to wither and they're going to show them to be dead. And their end result is probably the burn pile or maybe perhaps um, the compost pile, the place where the worm never dies, right? Literally. <laughs> but but this, this is where they're going. This is their fate. This is the, the end of where they are going. So we need to take seriously that there are people around us that are in this camp. I believe that most of you in this room are genuine believers. And I believe that uh, Jesus, when he was speaking to the twelve, he knew this too. These were genuine believers. So I don't want you to walk away or move forward this morning thinking, I, I, I just want you to be scared. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But he is giving a genuine warning. You need to watch out because there are people around us that are going to live unfruitful lives. How do we address that? What, what does it look like to be a fruitful Christian? So it's clear from the text that not bearing fruit 
will result in excommunication from the vine. They're going to be cut off from communion. They're not going to be connected to Christ. But our question today is, well, how do we bear fruit and remain connected to the vine? And the answer to that is one word. One word. If you didn't catch it the first 11 times when we read it in our passage this morning, it is abide. Abide. We are to abide in Christ. We are to abide in his love. We are to abide in him and his word will abide in us. Abide is what Jesus is saying. But what exactly does that mean? That's kind of Christianese, isn't it? We throw these words around like, well, we abide in Christ. That sounds mystical. What does it mean? What does it actually mean? So while Jesus does not explicitly define for us here what abiding means in this passage, it is clear from the analogy that abiding in the vine is somehow analogous to spiritual growth. Okay? He uses a physical example to make the spiritual point. And I think it's really amazing uh, that he does this. And we're right here in John, in John chapter 15, talking about gardening. And here we are getting ready for spring. So this is actually going to be able to connect to many of you who are actually getting your stuff ready. There's a spiritual element to, to what uh, Jesus is teaching here. He's showing an example so that it might resonate in our hearts. So this morning I want you to take it personally. I want you to think about this internally. Unless we have a vital connection... With the true vine, we will not be connected to the source of spiritual life. Okay, So this analogy speaks to every one of us, all of us in the room. It speaks to the new believer. It speaks to the old believer, all the people. The message is the same, though. If you aren't spiritually growing and bearing fruit, you aren't abiding in the true vine. So spiritual growth is really the topic this morning. We are supposed to be producing fruits. But again... This is kind of vague, isn't it? What does spiritual growth look like? How do you abide? How do you know if there's fruits? Well, I want to now draw attention to the fact that Jesus varies slightly in his wording when he talks about abiding in these 11 examples. He says it different ways at different times. He says, abide in me. He also says, abide in my love. And then there again, there's a variant of abide in my word. He says, my word will abide in you. And I, I believe all of these are all one and the same. He's all talking about the same thing, and that is abiding in Christ's love and his word. uh, Those two things aren't even necessarily different. Think about that. Abiding in Christ's word and his love. uh, These things are extensions and expressions of him and who his love is, right? They are kind of flowing out from him. So if we understand the scriptures, the word of God, rightly, then we'll see them all through the lens and the personhood of Jesus. In other words, when you look at the Bible— Everything that you see there should be going through that filter of who Jesus is, what his love looks like, what he's teaching about. All of that is the same. It all flows out from Jesus and his personhood. Now, making a judgmental point to the Pharisees who seem to miss Jesus's point, we're reminded in John 5, if you think back, that Jesus tells us that all scripture bears witness to himself. It all points back to me, he says. So if you miss Jesus, even in the Old Testament, you miss the whole point. You're missing it. And that is why Jesus makes the point here that he is the true vine. Did you catch that? When he says, I am the, he didn't just say, I'm the vine. He says, I am the true vine. This is in contrast to a false and unfruitful vine, the vine of Israel. Okay? Listen to the way scripture speaks of Israel being a vine, but being a vine rejected by God because of its unfruitfulness. Psalm 80 says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. But the psalmist laments the fact that its branches are broken down now in judgment. 
Okay, so Israel is a type of vine in the Old Testament. Isaiah 5 speaks of Israel again, saying, Beloved, my beloved had a, had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. You might think of Eden, right? My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill, but it yielded wild grapes. That's what it says. In other words, bad fruit. So what does God do in response to this wild vineyard, to the vineyard bearing wild grapes? He says, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up in it. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Judgment upon an unfruitful and false vine. Jeremiah 2.21, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine, Jesus says. And I could go on and on with many more analogies of the Old Testament where the prophets speak of Israel as this vine, but an unfruitful vine, a false vine. And the point Jesus is making is that he is the true vine. He is the true source of life. And if you miss him, you miss the whole thing. When Israel depended upon its vine status, we might say, it bore wild fruit, not natural fruit. When we depend upon our covenantal standing while neglecting a vital union with the source of life, true faith in him, you too will be cut off in your unfaithfulness. That is what Jesus is saying here. You can't just presume upon church membership. You can't say, well, I go to church. You have to have an abiding, true, personal, intimate, internal relationship with Jesus Christ or it's all for naught. This is why John the Baptist chastised the Pharisees in Matthew 3 when he said, you brood of vipers. Strong language. You brood of vipers. You might say, you bunch of snakes. You're followers of the devil. That kind of thing. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Here's this language. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say for yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones probably a reference to the Gentiles around. God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. More garden language, right? Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So we're starting to fill out this picture a little bit more, aren't we? See the Old Testament passages, some other New Testament passage. To bear fruit, you must keep with repentance, realizing that it's not our covenantal standing that saves us. It's not just being around the right people. Simply being connected to the right people group is not enough, is what Jesus is saying. They couldn't presume upon Abraham as their father, and we can't presume upon church membership. Christ is the true vine. And unless we are vitally connected to him through faith, we've missed it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. And he is the true vine. And if you're not connected to him, you're not really abiding. So abiding in Christ, therefore, looks like a repentant, receptive, and faithful dwelling in the person and teachings of Jesus Christ. Okay? What does that look like? Again, we can say that, but what does that mean? What, is, what does this look like practically? 
Okay. Well, another way of saying this is how does Christ communicate that life to us? How do, how do the juices flow back and forth when we're talking about this vine analogy? How is it really connected? What means does he use to maintain this vital connection? What are the fibers that connect us to Christ? What are the veins that flow back and forth? Well, the church has conveniently categorized this concept for us under the heading of the means of grace. The means of grace. If you've been to Sunday school before, uh, when I'm there, I'm talking about this all the time, aren't I? The means of grace. So what are they? Well, it's the word of God, both preached and read, personally read, prayer, and the sacraments, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Right? So the word of God, prayer, and the sacraments. These are the ordained ways, we might say commanded ways, that God communicates his grace to us. That doesn't mean it's the only way, but it does mean that if he has commanded these things, which Jesus says over and over again in these passages, doesn't it? He has commanded these things. He has commanded these things. And if we neglect their use, what it really says is that we're not interested in abiding in Christ. If we're not going to keep his commandments, the things that he tells us to do. Jesus says this explicitly in verse 10. He's very serious about commandments, isn't he? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's what it means. It's right there before us. Now, the means of grace, they aren't the the tantalizing route that modernity is obsessed with, is it? They're not talking about the means of grace. That's not what gets them all excited. Modernity has trashed the well-worn road of Orthodox Christianity for new and flashy ideas, ideas that reflect uh, an individualistic and secular worldview. It's a religion of their own is what it really is. But they have a completely different way of living. Instead of abiding in Christ and his word, they have been abiding in the world's word. There's this culture that speaks to us. We see it all the time. And because of this, they are looking more and more like the world. They are alienating themselves more and more from Christ because you are what you worship. You become like what you worship. When you are connected to Christ, you look like Christ. But when you're connected to the world, you start to look a lot more like the world. So even from this text, we can see that two of these ordinary means of grace are shining through. Prayer and the word of God, right? The word of Christ abiding in us. Uh, These things are evidently on the mind of Jesus. He tells us in verse 16 that we should pray, there's one of the means of grace, pray in the name of Jesus, which, as we said, doesn't mean we just slap on uh, the words in the name of Jesus at the end of our prayers like abracadabra, and that's the magical word that you get what you you ask for, right? It's not like that. No, praying in the name of Jesus means that we pray in accordance with the character and will of Jesus. We're obeying his commandments, and because we obey his commandments, we know what to pray for, right? And where do we find what we pray for? How do we know what to pray? How do we know what Jesus wants? His word, right? If we look to the world, the world isn't going to tell us what Jesus looks like. In fact, we should be doing that. We should tell the world what Jesus looks like. But so often we look to the world to shape the way we worship, the way that we live our lives. And we end up just looking like the world more. No, we can't find out who Jesus is and what he's about anywhere other than his word. That's where Jesus has revealed himself to us. And the word of God, both preached and read. That's how we find it. That's how we get back to what Jesus says, to, to abide in Christ. And this is one of the reasons that you'll notice we don't skip around in our sermons every week. We've been sticking in John for quite a while now, and probably many of you are like, oh my goodness, John again. We're in the Gospel of John. Well, when we slowly immerse ourselves in the life of Jesus and his teaching in the Gospel, 
We shape not just our liturgy according to the person and work of Jesus Christ, but what we come to realize is that we also are being shaped by this. We, we, we follow this strict liturgy because we know that this is rehearsing the gospel and it's what we need. Okay? It's much more fun to chase trendy topics of culture, but abiding in Christ keeps us from abiding in the world. Now, you know I'm not against topical preaching. I've preached on lots of top, well, I shouldn't say lots, a few topics before, and I do it from time to time because it is a healthy pastoral approach to address specific congregational needs at specific times, but primarily preaching, praying through, and worshiping in the whole stories of the gospel centers us on a posture of worship, of abiding in Jesus, not just these drive-by glances at his teachings where we kind of cherry-pick a bunch of verses and pull them from here and here, and we say, well, this is what the Bible says. No, this sets us up to be a fruitful church when we look at the whole picture. We look at the whole Jesus. We don't just see uh, the, the Jesus that our culture says is this really nice guy that lets us do whatever we want and live our lives according to what we want. No, we look at what Jesus is actually saying to us, and we take his commandments seriously. Now, if you haven't noticed, sticking with this garden analogy, we live in a miracle grow age. Okay, <laughs> Our world pumps out fruit at an alarming rate, surprising rate, really. And if we take a closer glance and kind of get real close and look at it, and we ask, well, is this product of the true vine or some synthetic substitute? What we often find is that we've been duped for wild grapes. We aren't getting the real thing, just like Israel was duped by the false vine. They were saying, well, we have Abraham, right? We, we, we got the right stuff, right? But they were missing it, right? There was something essentially missing so the slow obedience to the nature of things has long been forgotten in the world. Right? When we think about the way things should be, we don't follow the rules of nature anymore, do we? We are man. We break the rules. We will get what we want. We, are, we can overcome all the boundaries, the restrictions, the commandments that God has given to us. We are bigger than that. Why work according to the nature of something when manpower can overcome it, is what culture says. This is what the world is saying now. Why abide in the true vine when we have the ability to genetically modify a superior one? Let's do that. Let's just change the makeup of it, and then we'll make it better. Why abide in the true vine when we can graft someone else's donated parts onto us? Why not dice up the true vine, split it up into little pieces, extract what we need, and tra trash the rest to create this superior product to tailor to my needs and what I want? Never mind what it was before. Let's use it to what I want it for, my use. Why not ignore the true vine altogether and just prune ourselves into who we want to be? Make our own selves. We'll make our own selves and we'll be our own creator. I am who I am is what our culture essentially is saying. They are saying, I am God and I don't need your God. Why can't we do that? Why can't we trash all of that? Because Jesus tells us in verse 5, that apart from him, we can do nothing. You can do nothing. Now, this doesn't mean a literal nothing. People do things all the time, right? There are many things we can do. But the question is, is it anything of spiritual substance? Is it true spiritual growth? When you look at it close, is it the real thing or is it some wild off thing? It might look like a lively branch on the outside. But the inside, if you were to cut it open, you'd find it's a whitewashed tomb. It's dead. It's hollow. It's ready to be cut off and thrown into the fire. 
It's a scary reality, but it is the reality. It might feel like we're doing something great, but if we really evaluate ourselves, we realize we are nothing more than a cog in the wheel of a man-centered culture if we are not abiding in Christ. We are not friends of God, as Jesus says in verse 15. We are dehumanized slaves of culture. We live for them, and we ultimately are just doing what they want us to do. We are not abiding in Christ when we live that way. And church, unfortunately, this isn't just in the world. It's not just the world that's addicted to miracle grow. The church is oftentimes too, right? We want the quick fixes. Many who are presently on the vine are on the verge of being cut off due to their lack of abiding in the true vine. Abiding in Christ. They go through the motions and they seem to be attached on the outside, but on the inside, there's a lacking vital union. And and you've probably seen it before, haven't you? There's something missing in these people. They go to church, they kind of go through the motions, but you see that they're hollow, right? They remain on the vine, inorganically fed by performative conferences. Right? They, they go from high to high. Right, They're entertained by ear-tickling sermons that are uh, not filled with biblical truth. There's no real biblical substance to them. They're empty, and they're emotionally whipped-up highs uh, that are nothing more than quick fixes to deep spiritual malnourishment. That's what they're doing. They're trying to feed themselves with something that isn't actually doing anything. They are just taking the miracle girl. They're not connected into the true vine. They're not getting the substance that they need. And this kind of abiding is a superficial and hollow Christianity that eventually will be cut off, is what Jesus says. Now, let's be honest. It's not always exciting to abide in one book of the Bible for years. right? It can be kind of a slow and boring process at times. It's not always exciting to abide in the same Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Praying the same prayer? Yes, the one that Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, pray like this, he says. It's not always exciting to rehearse the gospel in the liturgy every week. This is what we did last week. Call to worship, confession of sin, assurance of pardon. Are we doing it again? We do all these things. It's not always exciting, but it is healthy. It is healthy. It's life-giving. When we leave, we can say, oh, we, I, I just felt like I was pruned a little bit. I was changed, right? I had repentance preached to me. It brings spiritual growth that we're not ashamed of. We can walk out of here and say, I just worshiped. I just encountered God in the worship. Similarly, right? It's not always exciting to eat three healthy meals a day, right? And eat fruits and vegetables in those meals. But it's healthy, right? We could gorge ourselves and eat trash food all the time, sweets, eat chocolate every time. But that's not what's going to spiritually nourish us. In the end, what's going to happen? We're going to be fat. We're going to be bloated. We're going to end up dying, right? We will kill ourselves by what we are consuming and eating and worshiping. Same way with worship. Same way with the way that we encounter and abide in Christ. And what we finally come to realize is that abiding doesn't look like some exotic, spiritual, mystical experience. It looks like a slow abiding in Christ that's simply doing what he commands us to do, right? He says, do this. And we're like, well, what if I did that? Right? That's what we usually do, right? He says, pray. Uh, well, how about I just flip on the news and see what's going on, right? He says to read our word. Well, how about I read a magazine, right? We, we always want to come up with our own solution. Well, I, I want to read your word, uh, and then we'll go say, well, I'm going to go do something else. I'll go see what this commentary is on this event, right? So Jesus tells us very clearly in verse 10 that abiding essentially is obedience, Obedience to the loving presence of Jesus that calls us to live that love out to others. 
Okay, it's slow like a branch growing on a vine. You ever watched a branch grow on a vine? Me either, because it would take a really, really long time. If you're going to sit there and stare at it and say, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Right? Kind of like Bree was talking about this morning. Right? It's slow, but it's coming. It's working. We don't always feel it. We don't always know it, but we know where the health is. We know that if we uh, fertilize the soil, we know that if we tend to it and we prune the things of our souls, guess what? We're going to eventually see fruit. And that fruit is something that we get to actually enjoy, Jesus says. Look at some of the rewards for an abiding union with Christ, the true vine. Okay, I'm going to break this up into different headings because there's so many of them. The first thing is consistent productivity. Consistent productivity. Verse 2 says, we are pruned to bear more fruit. Right. So we're going to have fruit and then we're going to get even more. Verse 5 says, bear much fruit. It's going to be all around you. You're going to be a fruitful Christian. Verse 16, go bear fruit and your fruit will abide. It's going to be lasting. It's something that's going to stick around. It's something that you're going to continually get to enjoy. So consistent productivity of fruit in our lives. Number two, provision. Provision. It says in verse seven, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Right? Verse 16, ask you or whatever you ask in the father's name, he may give it to you. Okay, so what this means is that when we have a real abiding presence with Jesus, when we come to him, we know how to pray. He's going to take care of our needs. And we're going to find that when we're in line with Christ, when the juices are flowing right, right, if we're using that analogy, we're going to find that when we pray these things, they're actually being answered because it's what Jesus wants. We're praying in line with his will. We're praying according to the name of Jesus. So number two, provision. Number three, we're going to be given the gift of loving community. Loving community. You will abide in my love, verse 10 says. You're going to be loved by God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. As we've been talking about the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and what that means for us and how we're connected to this Trinitarian economy, this Trinitarian community where we have this group around us. It's not just us, right? It's us and God. So we have this relationship, this community uh, with God in us. Abiding in us. Verse 17 says, you will love one another. Okay, so it's not just God and us. It's God, us, and others. Right? This love of abiding in Christ is actually going to flow out from us just like it flowed out from Jesus. And it's going to help us to love others. And that's going to unite us to them. So it's going to grow in this uh, understanding of unity and love and friendship around us. And we see again, verse 14, you are my friends. You're my friends. You're going to be given real community in Jesus, and Jesus means this. Now, now note that friendship, though, we need to think about this rightly. Friendship depends upon common aims and outlooks, as it does in praying in, the G, in Jesus' names, right? So we have to pray along with what Jesus wants, his outlook, his common aims. So the friendship that Jesus is talking about here is anchored in unity of mission and loves. We're going to love what Jesus does. We're going to be on mission doing the same things that Jesus is doing, and that's going to actually be the the basis of our friendship. We're on mission together. We're doing this together, and that's why he elevates them to the status of friends. Right? They are not hidden from his plans as slaves. He says, no, you're coming alongside me. We're friends. We're, We're on mission together. So the true friends of Jesus are those that habitually obey him, not just those who hang around him to get benefits from him. This is the kind of real friendship that Jesus is talking about. Because people talk about being a friend of Jesus all the time, but they're not really abiding in what he's saying. So loving community, number three. Number four, and my favorite, joy. Joy. My joy may be in you, Jesus says, and your joy may be complete, may be full. 
verse 11 says. Think about that. This joy that Jesus talks about. R.H. Strachan said this better than I could have, so I'm just going to read what he said. I read it in my commentary. It says, The joy of Jesus is the joy that arises from the sense of a finished work. It is creative joy, like the joy of the artist. It produces a sense of unexhausted power for fresh creation. This joy in the heart of Jesus is both joy of victory and the sense of having brought his church into being. Right? In other words, the joy isn't a baseless joy. It's the kind of joy that you can look back at hard-earned work with and see the fruit and get the satisfaction from that. Be able to eat and partake of the fruit of your labors. Like the feeling of planting a vineyard, tending for it for years, harvesting the fruit of the vine, fermenting the, the fruit, and then finally getting that first delectable taste of enjoyment if you drink that first sip of wine. That's what it's like, Jesus says. That's the kind of joy that you're going to get. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be immediate. You're not going to get fruit as soon as you put it in the ground. But over this long, slow process, you are going to get an amazing kind of joy, a kind of joy that is complete and full. That is the kind of joy that comes when we truly abide in Christ, the true vine. And and perhaps uh, this is why many commentators have actually likened this analogy, what Jesus is saying here, to uh, the Lord's Supper. Right? They, they say it comes all the way back to that. That's what it means to abide in the true vine. When we come and partake of him, we get this sense of fulfillment, this complete joy where we come and partake of the body and blood of Christ. And what we find is that there's real spiritual growth that's happening through it. It's not immediate. It's not exotic and miraculous. But through this process of going through the means of grace, right? the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, prayer, the word of God, both preached and read, it's doing something in us. It's working in our souls. So church, this is how the obedience to Christ's commandments should function. It's ordinary. It's normal, but it's what works, right? We abide in Christ and his word through intimate and vital communion and union with the person of Jesus as we encounter him in the means of grace. Prayer, the word of God, both preached and read, and the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. This abiding presence, it then blossoms out and away from us in the form of fruit, right? And what is this fruit, right? We haven't really defined that yet, but just think about it. It's good works. It's it's ethical behavior. It's, we were just talking about last week, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Fruits of the Spirit. That's the kind of fruit that Jesus is talking about. Not some miracles. He's talking about the ordinary things of life. Love, joy, peace, patience, right? The fruits of the Spirit. And chiefly of these things, love. That's what he keeps coming back to, isn't it? Jesus wants us to love. And by obeying his commandments, he says that you're going to love others. That's what this fruit really looks like. And as we bear this fruit, it causes a sense of deep, joyful gratitude that leaves us running back to the source for more. We just want to plant more seeds so that we can have more fruit. Abiding in Christ makes us want to abide even more. That's how the process works. We abide, we get fruits, and we say, wow, that was amazing. So we go right back to plant it again year after year, just like many of you do in your gardens. So allow me to leave you with a couple questions to wrestle with because uh, I, I want us to internalize this, not just think about, wow, Jesus had a cool analogy there. I want you to ask yourselves two questions this morning. Number one, what is the fruit that you are bearing in your life that proves you are truly a disciple? Because that's what Jesus says. If you abide in me, you will so prove to be my disciple. What is it that you can look at your life and say, 
there's fruit there. And this is reminding me that I'm where I should be. I'm abiding in the vine. Could, could someone else do that if they were to look at you and say, where is the fruit in your life? Would they be able to identify those fruits that so prove that you're a disciple? So there's number one. Number two, do you possess the kind of joy that Jesus is speaking about here? Do you understand that joy? Because if we ask those two questions and you kind of take a breath, think, and you relax, evaluate yourself, and you say, no, I, I kind of feel hollow, actually. I kind of understand what you're talking about with joy there, but I don't know that I've ever really felt that. I feel hollow, actually. I feel empty. I feel like, yeah, I am kind of the person going through the motions. If that's you this morning, church, as I've said before, I don't really do altar calls, but I do invite you to come talk to me after service. If you go through the motions and you feel empty when you ask that question, do I feel real joy in life? Have I really been connected and abiding in Christ? And you say no to that. There is nothing more that I want for you this morning than for you to have that joy be made full in your life. And there's probably people around you, maybe even sitting next to you, that could walk through that with you too. If you don't want to come to me, come to someone. Don't live a life devoid of joy. Don't live a life that's unfruitful and absolutely barren. We want to be joyful, productive, excited, vital Christians, real Christians, the only kind of Christians that there are. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we know that we can't do any of this work if we are not abiding in you. Lord, you are the one that does this from start to finish. It is by grace that we start this process. Lord, I pray that as I've just preached, Lord, help everyone to realize in this room that I am not saying that we are saved by works. It's probably something that I should have said in the sermon. But Father, I pray that you would impress that now. I pray that you'd help us to recognize that we are saved by your grace and we are saved by grace through faith for good works that you've prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Lord, help us to walk in the fruits that you have prepared for us. Lord, help us to be fruitful Christians that are abiding in you. Impress on our souls uh, the need to abide in you. Help us as we walk through our days. When we are empty, help us to feel empty so that leaves us running back to the source. Lord, help us not to keep walking in joyless uh, lives and fruitless lives. Help us to use this sermon as a wake-up reminder that we need to be productive, that we need to be bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. Help us to abide in Christ. And therefore, be joyful. Be excited about what you're doing in our lives. Lord, we ask this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.